The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today's guest, Terry Diane Anderson, writes that as a child she could see the natural energies of trees, mountains, animals, people, and she experienced departed loved ones sitting on her bed communicating with her. A sudden NDE transported her to another dimension with three beings who gave her a past and future life review. She experienced a change of consciousness and personality that left her with the ability to see through time and space into people's lives and bodies, preview events with people she had not yet uh, met, communicate with departed souls, and more. She sought extensive training in controlling remote viewing, medical applications, neuroscience, and psychic mediumship to learn how to apply her new abilities to help others, which she does today. Terry, welcome to NDE Radio. Hello, Lee, and thank you for the invitation. Well, you're very, you're very welcome. Um, Terry, you mentioned to me that as a child you saw fairies, and um, my sister had that same experience. I wonder if you could describe it for the audience. Yes, I was about, uh, I think I was about six or seven years old, and uh, my bedroom was in the lower level of the house, and I was looking in the basement, and I saw a short male and a short female. They were about, oh, I don't know, five or six inches tall. <laughs> And I, and they they just stood and they looked at me and I looked at them, and I couldn't believe my eyes really, but I didn't I didn't know how not to believe what I was seeing, because I was so young and I I've never seen them again. Um, did they look that, like look like miniature humans or did they yes, have a? Yes, they did. They looked like miniature humans, and so that's why I've never forgotten that memory. Yes. Wow. And then um, you said when you were 12, you had a visit from your uh, recently deceased grandfather. Yes, and he had died of a heart attack, and he was about three days later. It was in a week, within a week, and he uh, was sitting at the end of my bed, and he was communicating to me. I don't remember what the communication was, but he and I were very close, and he was a very kind, very loving man. Mm. So uh, that was my first mediumship viewing, I suppose, or communication. Did, did he look uh, the, the same as when he had died, or did he look younger to you? Yeah, he looked younger, and uh, he seemed completely well. Oh. Yeah. And and happy? Happy, yeah, very happy, yeah. Oh. Wow, that, what a gift. <laughs> <laughs> and, then at yeah. and then at 15, you said, you had a near-death experience, you were very sick, and um, you were healed by an angel. Tell us about yes. that. Yeah, I was in the hospital, and I was dying from a very serious illness, and the the doctors didn't know how to help me, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> I won't <laughs> disclose my age. <laughs> okay. But, um, I dreamt that an angel took me up to heaven, and when I came back in the morning when the doctors came in to see me in the hospital, they said I was well. And they said, this is a miracle. We don't know how to explain it. 
but you can go home. <laughs> and so that was uh, that was my first angel experience. Oh, that's that's terrific. Yeah. Uh, as a chaplain, I saw some miracles like that in the hospital, but they were few and far between. So you were you were again very blessed. Um, oh. Now tell tell uh, tell the audience about your the major NDE, your sudden NDE, and the and uh, the consequences of that. Okay, I was 30 years old, married to my high school sweetheart, and we had two young daughters, seven and eight years old. And I went to work one night for a woman who was sick in a neighborhood bar. And uh, I was the only one working there. And as the night progressed, I got more and more agitated. And I kept phoning my husband, telling him there's something wrong. I don't know what it is, but there's something wrong. And if he was at home watching the children while I was working. <clears throat> and it came time to for the uh, pub to close. And so as I was locking the doors and windows and setting the alarm, I thought I could hear noises outside. And I became really frightened. And so I had my car keys in my hand and set the alarm and I raced out the back door and slammed it behind me. And as I was slamming it behind me, two men, armed robbers with ski masks on, rushed me, tried to get the door before it closed, and they beat me up very badly. I sustained a brain injury, spinal injuries, chest injuries, and a tailbone injury. Mm. And... uh and then they held a sawed-off shotgun to my head and a crowbar in my face. Wow. Hand over my mouth. And I really believed I was going to die. And I thought, oh, my, I, I'll never get to see my children, my husband. And I, I thought, I'll die right here and nobody will find me till morning. <laughs> and that was my thought. Yes. And um, they eventually let me talk. And because I had keys in my hand, they said, open the door. I said, these are keys to my car. I don't have a way to get in the building. And they uh, they um, believed me, so they said, get in your car and leave. Mm. So I did, <laughs> and um, went to a friend of the owner, and he phoned the police, and then I filed reports. But as a consequence of that, I had amnesia for about 11 months, and then as I started coming out of amnesia, I realized I couldn't read. And wow. So then I thought, well, who are these people in this house? Who's this man and who are these children? <laughs> and then, it, it, so I went to this workers' compensation board and I told them I needed help and they said, oh, you look fine, go home. <laughs> and wow. so they did that to me twice. I had to go to the MLA and get some help there and finally did. Mm -hmm. They put me in the, in the clinic for three months and there I learned how to walk and talk and read and write and interact with people all over again. It took three months in that um, clinic and then many, many, many years of rehabilitation after. But my marriage shattered because I was a completely different person. I didn't know my husband. I didn't even know who I was. And we were not, I also had PTSD and the clinic gave me no, gave our family no information or support or guidance in how to deal with it. Mm. And <clears throat> so our, our family shattered. And um, that was a huge loss. Um, and it still is. It's a, it's a huge loss because, mm. you know, we all dream of being married forever. <laughs> how did your children handle it? Well, my eldest daughter, when I took her to the Head Injury Society with me, because I was there for a long time, she said, Mom, 
why are we here? This is disgusting. And, and at one point she said, it would have been easier if you died. And that was pretty hard oh. to take. But, you know, kids don't have the skills to deal with horrendous stress. Right. Now, so, when this occurred, was this, um, what were the NDE aspects of it? Well, I found myself out of my body in another realm with three spirit beings or interdimensional beings because I was in another dimension outside of time and space. And I was sitting, it was very warm, very bright, very loving. And their communication to me was clearly telepathic. Mm. And their information just exuded into me. And <clears throat> we were sitting on these very special chairs, and I still don't really understand the chairs. Um, uh, but I, they gave me a past and future life review. And so... When I came back <clears throat> to a body, I did not recognize the body. I thought, oh, my gosh, why? how am I back here, and whose body is this? And I thought I was dead. Mm-hmm. I thought I died. How come I'm back? And I was quite stunned. And then I had to relearn, you know, what it meant to be a, a female. And it was like I was from another planet, and I had to relearn everything all over again. So... It was a horrendous amount of stress. And in that period of time, I had realized that I'd been become super psychic. Like I could shake somebody's hand and see right into their house. And and I could tell all kinds of things about their body and their life without, you know, going to a formal reading. And so I realized I had to get training because I... I'd gone to the university, I talked to professors of psychology, and he said, well, nobody's going to believe you, Terry. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, this guy is teaching, you know, um, countless students about psychology, and they don't grasp near-death experience. So I joined IONS, and... Um, and well, before we go to that, though, Terry, um, when you saw the three beings, was this during the beating that you were getting... No, no. I, well, here's how it was explained to me by a neurologist. Okay. When when you're in that situation where you where you can't escape, you're you have a, you're in a fight or flight situation, and the adrenaline peaks and cascades because if you can't escape, then all the blood rushes to your organs, and at that moment that you cannot escape, you really think you're going to die, the, there's a death hormone that's tripped, and it cascades, and it prepares your body for death. Mm. And in that moment, he said, you can see everything all at once, past, present, and future. So there's the past life review and the future review. But he said it takes years to integrate all those images because there's so many images. So he was saying this was a physiological reaction. Yes. Rather, than, rather than what we, you know, at Ions would say was an out-of-body experience. Well, at that time, and that was shortly after after that near-death experience, and he explained it to me. He was teaching other medical professionals, and I was somehow found myself lucky enough to be in the class. <laughs> I don't know how I got there. <clears throat> would that explain uh, uh, visions of the future, though? I could see where it might trigger... Uh, uh, brain memories of the past, but I don't see how it would uh, take you out of time enough to see the future as well. 
Well, when I saw the future, there's another element to this where I felt like I was on a craft in another dimension. And I was shown all of these screens, multiple screens across, moving across in front of me. And I I felt that someone or an entity or spirit or whatever, another being, opened my third eye. And it was very traumatic. And it was done without any anesthetic. (laughs) Mm. But that, that, then I saw all of those screens, all of those images, and that was the future review, I believe. Um, could have also encapsulated the past life review, but I'm not sure. But having the third eye open to reveal this information was really traumatic. Mm. Was the future that you saw your own personal future, or was it a, a broader picture of the world? It was mine and a broader picture, uh, and in, incorporated, I <clears throat> remember meeting in some of the memories, uh, something to do with Bill Clinton and Queen North Jordan and all of these other, a lot of politicians and other leaders. And so I couldn't, didn't quite know how to, where that fit in the timelines because I hadn't understood timelines at that point. Mm. So, I organized a children's foundation and introduced that to a school by invitation of the um, junior achievement and the student entrepreneurial learning foundation. And I took, I was involved in politics a little bit. And so I, I took the, um, let's see, some articles from the children's, uh, let's see, what was it called? United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. And I took that into a school and I did a a cross-cultural project between a Victoria school and a school in India. And it was on the, on children's human rights. And because of that work, ultimately I was invited to Ottawa. And there is a body of work at the United Nations that the children helped create. And they won awards from, and recognition from President Clinton and Queen Norb Jordan and these other leaders and politicians. So it did come to be. Ah, very interesting. I should tell our listeners that you're in Vancouver, right? On Vancouver Island? On Vancouver Island, yes. Yes. So that explains the connection with Ottawa. Well, um, did it, do you suppose that your amnesia was a result of a physical damage or just confusion from all the images that you had uh, during the near-death experience? Or maybe both? I think it was a combination of traumatic shock and a brain injury and being out of body and in another realm and not having um, help to assimilate those experiences because I had been involved in church my whole life and was, you know, youth group leader, um, inter-church committee, bringing in family education to community and, and a, uh, secretary to a pastor and after my ne- near-death experience I did not want to go to church again I realized that the church did not have these an explanation for these uh, this was definitely a transformational experience and other than some story about the, somebody on the road to Damascus who had a transformational experience you know the Bible didn't explain where I was outside of time and space. <laughs> right. 
not to my satisfaction. So I, I left the church. I left religion. Did you try talking to your uh, pastor about uh, the experience you had? Yes, but he couldn't relate. Mm. Unfortunately, so, that's often the case. Yeah. Oh, that must have been discouraging. Oh, yeah, it was. But it it helped me realize that religion is just religion. It's it's an organized body of people, right? Regular people, and an, until you've had a near death experience, you don't know. You 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 just don't know. The you frustrating know. thing is that those people are going to church so that they can learn what you happen to have learned and could explain to them if you were given half a chance. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's uh, it's really too bad the churches haven't embraced the uh, th- these personal mystical experiences more readily because um, it, it would bring life back. I agree. There is. A, I did find a spiritualist church, and they believe in mediumship and these kinds of experiences. <clears throat> and I had a little bit of training with one of them, and I felt the the hierarchy of it. I don't suit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't fit in anybody's box anymore. <laughs> yeah, these structures, these structures can be uh, tough to overcome, even in a spiritualist church. Well, once once you uh, wanted to get into training, I I saw that you had uh, had some experience with ions. Yes, I was involved with them for many many years and did lots of research, and then I helped run co-chair of the Vancouver Island Near-Death Experience Association for seven years in partnership with IONS. We were one of the sister partnerships. I don't know how they would classify it back then. Um, so we did lots of um, television uh, conferences, presentations at universities, and we would host uh, monthly support groups for people, anyone who'd had a near-death experience so that they could come and and talk about them, share their experiences. And it was really, really interesting because I got to hear a lot of near-death experiences. And it was it was a wonderful time of support, not only for myself, but for others. And then you said, uh, too, that you had um, gone to the Arthur Findlay uh, College in England. Tell us, tell was- us about that, what... Uh, a little about the college and then what your experience was there. Well, I, it was it changed me forever, forever. <laughs> oh my gosh, I uh, <laughs> I had always wanted to go, and it's kind of I, I it's kind of like a, a, a Harry Potter school, but without the brooms. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my little joke about it. But it's they have the most sincere teachers, uh, instructors than all the universities and colleges and private education that I've had. And that's saying a lot. And they're, they're, the way they teach is so refined. It's so beautiful. I would, If anyone has any kind of abilities, I would highly recommend that they go there. So I was there for a week, and I was learning platform mediumship and, uh, and all of the other skill sets to polish what I... How, how to use my abilities because I was doing cards and psychometry and all of that. And the t- tutor came along. She said, what are you doing? I said, psychometry. <laughs> she said, oh, we don't do that here. We go directly <laughs> to the divine, <laughs> you know, and I'll never forget that. She was so sweet. 
And so I got, I learned, I was trained out of my tricks <laughs> and, and just how to get the information. And so it was a, an amazing experience that the, the last evening that we were there was sharing a room with three other ladies. <clears throat> and after the sessions had ended, we went to the, our room and we could see these light orbs just zipping around like everywhere. We all saw them, these little balls of pure white energy. Um, I guess about a, a five inch diameter just zipping all through our room. And uh, it was quite remarkable. So that was a fir- my first experience with orbs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of the, oh, and then I remember someone, I, I mean, there's 120 students, I didn't know anybody, and one person came through with my mom, who was deceased for many, like over 25 years, with such um, exact information. I couldn't believe it. I went to my room and I cried, and uh, my, my roommate came in and she said, whoa, dear, what's wrong? And I said, well, if this is what we do to each other as mediums, I don't think I want to be a medium. <laughs> I thought I would die from the pain. My mom died suddenly, and I didn't have a chance to say goodbye, but she came through so clearly. Oh. And, yeah, and so I, I, had, I had a chance to heal that unresolved grief that was just sitting in my heart. And this student was able to connect me to my mom so that I could heal. And, whoa, it's painful, I'll tell you, but definitely worth it because I'm free of that grief now. Yes. What did she tell you uh, when you talked, when she communicated with you? Wow. I cannot remember the details. I just remember the feeling mm. of uh, overwhelming pain. And I wanted to sue the school because they didn't warn us that this could happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I went through the whole range of emotions. So, and so even though it was a wonderful gift, it was, uh, it, it put you off at first. Oh, it, it did. And so because of that, I'm a lot more sensitive in how I do mediumship readings mm. because it can really get inside a person and move that grief. And if they're not prepared for that, you know, it's all in the, in the way it's presented. So, and that's part of the training too, is to how, learn how to deliver the information so that it's not hurtful. <laughs> well, tell us some of your experiences as a medium and what you've been able to do for, for some people. Well, one of the most profound that has stuck in my memory, um, is I did a reading for a, a fellow in Hong Kong and, um, over Skype. And I did a medical intuitive body reading, and he was quite astounded at my accuracy. And then I started choking, and I panicked and left the room. And when I came back, I said, it feels like you've lost a female. It feels like a daughter. And he said, yes. And I said, it feels like she passed from the neck. And he said, yes. And then, boom, she was right beside me. Hmm. She was right beside me in spirit. And she was communicating all this information to him about their life at father and daughter. And she was apologizing. And he said, yes, she took her own life. And so the information that she shared to her dad, which I relayed, he just started crying. just bawling like a baby. And the grief was moving. <laughs> 
And um, I could feel this spirit beside me heal as they were connecting and sharing this information. And I could feel him healing. And I was floored. And at the end of the reading, I, you know, closed Skype and I just stood and prayed. And I thought, oh my gosh, how does this work? How do, how can this happen? Mm-hmm. And I thought, should I even be doing this? How is it I'm able to do this? So it's uh, really harrowing. And then the following day, I had another reading with the young lady I'd never met. And I got the same thing, the choking. And I said, oh, it feels like you've lost a sister. And she passed from the neck. And she said, yes, she hung herself. So oh. I get I get a lot of suicides. And, and in those, there is great healing in spirit, for the spirit, and for the living. Do you detect in, in communicating with someone, say, who's committed suicide, uh, that they are more troubled when they first get in touch with you than when when the communication ends. In other words, when you say there's healing, does it is it a spiritual healing that can move them into the light or out of the situation they find themselves in? If if I let me let me think about how to answer that. I had my nephew took his own life the same way, and he came to me ten months after in a, in a spiritual visit with information about his sister. And so I shared that information with her in the morning, and she confirmed it. And because I didn't know them very well, I had only seen them a few times. And and I remember when he turned around to leave the communication between him and I in spirit, that he turned around and looked over at me over his shoulder, and he went on his way with... Uh, Remorse. Mm. Yeah. Did, so, did, did it feel to you like he was stuck in a place for a time? It did, yes. And that his communication to me helped him move on because he had moved on. And I could see him moving on, but looking over his shoulder at me as he moved away, as he moved on. So, and in feeling the spirit, um, wow. I don't see them go into the light that I know of, if, that I remember. Mm-hmm. But I do feel them heal and I do feel them change and they always apologize. They're always sorry for what they did. Yeah. Suicides don't really consider the impact their loss will be to their families and friends and yes. society. Are there any organizations you know of that deal specifically with the passing of, um, uh, suicides and uh, attempts to heal them from the side of the curtain? Not that I'm aware of, but I do so many suicide readings for people. I One I did about a month ago <clears throat> was for a mom. She lost a son to suicide, and this was a very difficult reading because her mother, which would be the grandmother of the boy, came through. She's in spirit, and she was warning me about her other son. And I said, oh, and because the grandmother said, I'll see him soon. And I didn't even want to say that to to this mom sitting in front of me who'd already lost a son. Sure. 
But I said, your grand, your mother is here and she's communicating great concern for your other son. I said, is your other son okay? And then she started to open up a little bit and I said, well, this is what she's said. This is what she's conveyed that she'll see him soon. And I don't like to hear that and I don't want to say it, but I don't want to not say it. I'd rather say it and be wrong. And, and I want you to intervene in your other son's life. Terry, we are just about out of time, and I want to give you a chance to let people know how they can get in touch with you. Oh, okay. Um, my website is terryanderson.com, so that's T-E-R-R-Y-A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N.com. And then they can read all about me and my training and read testimonials from others who've had readings with me and they can book a reading or, or submit a proposal or it's, it's all the information is there on the site. Oh, great. Great. Yeah. I want to thank our guest, Terry Anderson, for sharing her story with us today. If you'd like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IANS, check out that website, iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.